America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Congressman Ted Budd the Republican nominee for this year's Senate race in North Carolina. We're gonna cover everything from his missionary work in the former Soviet Union, the Democrats' war on the Second Amendment, and his candidacy for the United States Senate. Well, I'm so excited to welcome a very good friend of mine that I've known for quite some time, our next senator, uh, our nominee for the I love Senate. Your <laughs> I have that I love confidence. That. I really do. But our nominee for the U.S. Senate and a great congressman, Ted Budd. Welcome to Real America. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Rana. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to have this time. Of course, I've known you for a while. I feel like I was in North Carolina so much um, in your 2018 race for Congress when it was a battleground race. But I I want people to get to know you Mm -hmm. because you're just such an exciting person. And we're going to be so lucky to have you as a senator in North Carolina. Um, But talk about your growing up. You grew up on a cattle and chicken farm. What was that like? Well, it was kind of dual world. So I did grow up on a cattle and chicken farm. Okay. You know, it was it was a, a hobby farm that grew. We had the, uh, the we, we bought the farm next to us when I was nine or ten years old, which had Tyson chickens. It oh Holly, wow! It was Holly Farms, and then became Tyson, and it was a hatching egg operation. So uh, they would come every week, take the eggs up to a hatchery, and you know, three weeks later, baby chicks. So it was ten thousand, twenty thousand chickens. We had two houses. And uh, uh, and we had that for 20 years. We had Black Angus cattle for years. Still have those today. Really? And, uh, you know, I like to say to all across North Carolina, you know, I don't want to call myself a farmer because my neighbors work way too hard to have that title. <laughs> like, I live on a farm. When the cows are out, you know, I'm back in the mode. We're getting the cows back in. But uh, my neighbors work really hard to earn that title as farmer. But it gives you such an it appreciation. Does. You know, yeah. I was talking with somebody earlier Farmers and people who are working with their hands, they can't do Zoom. They don't get to do virtual work no. like so many of our millennials or some of the woke Democrats are thinking we can Zoom it in. Like your um, counterpart in the House, Nancy Pelosi, who has yeah. proxy voting. Um, when you're a farmer, it's day in, day you can't, out. You can't proxy the, the the fields, the crops, and you know you can't control these input uh, prices that are going through the roof that are driving fertilizer prices up, which people are paying for at the grocery store. What a great background. And yeah. then you went to college, uh, and you majored in theology. So what yeah, so were you going to do with that? Tell me, tell wait, me about yeah, that. Wait, so when I say dual world, it's not cattle and chickens. It's farming, right? Yeah. That, and then we had a janitorial and landscape uh, okay. company that my dad had started in the 60s. And so I worked either on the farm or I was working putting out pine straw, mowing grass, or or buffing floors on the third shift. So that's the, the that's the dual world that we had is a business and a, and a farm. Oh, up. that's wonderful. But went to Appalachian State. And actually, at undergrad was in business. But I was involved in a group called Crew or Campus Crusade. And so we uh, decided to go on a mission trip my uh, after my freshman year, and it was to the Soviet Union. You know, it was a scary place. Um, and uh, that's where I ended up meeting Amy, Amy Kate, Kate right. your wife, right? Yeah, so uh, she's a coal miner's daughter or granddaughter from West Virginia. Um, and then afterwards, that's when we uh, both went to Dallas Theological Seminary and both got a degree in education, Christian education. 
So tell me about being a missionary in the Soviet Union, yeah, in it, a communist a, country. What was that like? So I had two communist country trips. One was to the former Soviet Union, and two things happened. It was August of 91, and so if we remember our history, uh, two things happened. One is that the Iron Curtain collapsed that very week, and the other thing, it was epic because I get to, got to meet Amy Kate. So, <laughs> so, so two so, yeah, major yeah, world yeah. events. <laughs> there, were, there were 405 Americans. We had chartered Aeroflot. You know, it took— the, the planes were awful, and it took four or five stops to get all the way to Moscow. And then we went to Leningrad, which was changing its name to St. Saint Petersburg that, okay. that month. And and then we also went to Kiev, which was part of the Soviet Union. And they had right. I had a name tag. It said Theodore, the you know, formal name on there, but it was written in Russian. But I went to uh, Kiev with that same name tag on. They were offended that it was actually written in Russian. You could see their their striving for independence even then in 1991. And of course, within weeks, you know, everything had devolved in the Soviet Union. Um, you could see I had um, a backpack on. And when they opened, this is back in Red Square, the day one, when they opened the doors of the bus to let us out, we we're going like, you know, are we going to, are we going to jail here? Are we going to get captured by the KGB? So we were you know, we were nervous, scared. yeah. But I remember feeling somebody pulling my backpack, and I'm going, "This is, you know, probably somebody going to arrest me." And I looked, and I turned around. It was an elderly woman who was weeping. She saw that we had uh, literature, we had, um, uh, you know, a Russian translated um, Gospel of Luke with us, and she saw what it was, and she started crying, and she asked for more, and she would begin handing them out to her friends because oh. they've essentially been, you know, starved of, of freedom of thought, freedom of religion since 1917, and so we were able to see that firsthand. Oh my, what a an amazing experience. What a historical time to be there. Yeah. It had to have changed your life. It really did. I was 19 at the time, so you don't really understand what's happening in a, or, you know, globally. But looking back on that, um, you know, I'm so appreciative of that, so appreciative of the freedoms that we still have. Uh, even with all the challenges we have as a country right now, people are voting with their feet. They want to come here. They realize this is, this is a great last stand for freedom and we have to protect it. And, you know, I think... It's a part of the reason what you're talking about right now is why we're seeing an exodus from the Democrat Party to the Republican Party from people who have legally come to this country from communist countries, from socialist countries, because they gave up everything to come to America where they could have freedom of religion and freedom of speech and freedom of thought because they understand that that oppression. Does it worry you when you see... Uh, what you saw in in the Soviet Union, and now what you're seeing with the Democrat Party and some of the suppression you're seeing of our, our, our American ideals. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, the, the people that seem to be the most frontline upset about the trends in the Democrat Party and uh, the things they're trying to infiltrate our country with are those, they, they still have uh, a, the first generation accent of having properly immigrated from another country to the U.S. Yep. And they're heartbroken. I have people come and they say, I saw my country destroyed from in Venezuela or my parents escaped from Cuba. And do you see what they're trying to do to our country now? It's the same thing. Please wake up. Uh, please uh, please don't do uh, what happened to my parents' country or to my country. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that I'm running right now is to make life better for North Carolinians, for Americans, and to stop this spread of socialism. It, it's never worked. Uh, and the Democrats, you know, they, they call themselves the, the party of democracy. 
But they're not. It's becoming the party of socialism right now. And I think that's why we're seeing their numbers, especially in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. where I'm focused. Those numbers are voter registrations are trending downwards. And people aren't protesting by all the time coming to be Republicans. Sometimes they're becoming unaffiliated, saying that they're fed up with what they're seeing in in the radicalism of the Democrat Party. Speaking of that, and I think this segues perfectly into you and Amy Kate, you have three children but you made the decision to homeschool your kids, which I think you were ahead of the curve on that. Uh, but when you see the radicalism in the Democrat Party and how they're using our children as tools for their radical agenda and using our kids' education as, you know, a, a, a grounds to teach or propagate their belief system instead of teaching them math, history, the greatness of America— what made you decide to homeschool, and how concerned are you about what you've seen with the Democrats and their agenda with our kids? Yeah, well, when it comes to educational background, so we've had a mix of everything, uh, public high schools, uh, you know, uh, religious uh, uh, postgraduate studies, um, public colleges. So both of us, Amy Kitten, have, have both had a mixture of both. But we saw the opportunity. We saw the, the product of what parents who were directly involved in their kids' education were, were producing. And we really liked it. And we said, well, we'll try. It's scary. And, uh, you know, we didn't think that we would know how, but we tried it a year at a time. We thought long-term, but we would we would take the decision a year at a time. Okay. And, that and makes it, a lot of sense. Baby steps, right? We did. We did. Uh, baby steps. Let's try it with the first one for a year, you know, and they're younger, but now there's so much more curriculum out there. Parents can choose from. There's software that helps. Uh, and always, don't do anything alone, right? So you want to have um, a, a community around you. And there's just so many people that have done this before that we were able to lean on and learn from. Um, there's great uh, NCHE, North Carolinians for home education. Uh, we ended up being on the board there. And, and, and we understand that during COVID, uh, we had since exited the, the board being involved in politics here. But during COVID, I think the website actually broke. The internet actually <laughs> broke with parents saying, no more of this, keeping my kids home, this woke agenda. Uh, we want to say in our kids' education. Um, and whether it's parents choosing to homeschool or whether it's pairing parents choosing to step up and be on the school board. Yeah. We're seeing they're the new heroes. Uh, I'll go running for U.S. Senate and I'll go to a, a, a political meeting and uh, they'll say, hey, thanks for running for the U.S. Senate. But by the way, where are the school board moms? You know, they, they, want to, <laughs> they want to say, you know, who's running for school board because that's the new hero right now. It's parents wanting a say in their kids' education. And that spectrum runs for, you know, being involved in, in PTA, being involved, um, you know, on the school board level, uh, running for office there, um, or or whether it's homeschooling your kids. There's a whole spectrum of parental engagement. It's so important. I think it's amazing that you did that. I personally applaud you both because I don't think I could have done that. Um, But you know, under Biden's administration, you'd be a domestic terrorist for having a say in your kids' education. I'll tell you what, you you do have to fear Amy Cage. So she's strong, (laughs) she's smart. um, And I want to give her credit for, you know, what she's done, the lion's share of the education. And our our youngest is now going off to, uh, to college. So she's successfully done three this year as her my wife's graduation year for having successfully graduated three into college. Okay, we're just on a public bri- uh, podcast, but what are you going to buy her as a gift? You got to give her some graduation You're gift. You're catching me flat-footed right now. I need <laughs> to right, do well, some the, serious shopping. We will we'll talk, talk about that offline, after okay? because <laughs> that's amazing. This is your last one. Okay, well, I have a son who has a senior year. I can ship him off to you. Okay, yeah, And we'll Amy lie. Kate can finish him. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that's amazing, and it's going to bring such a great background for you to the Senate and really— be able to understand what parents have gone through mm-hmm. in states. 
you know, that were really shut down. And I, I talk about my, my kids a lot. You know, we were shut yeah. down in Michigan. Our kids became collateral damage, but there's an aftermath yeah. and there's a deficit uh, and there's a mental health issue that kids are still dealing with. So thank you for what you have done and for being able to be a voice for parents in the United States Senate when you get elected. I'm just going to just assume that that's happening. Although and we're going to talk work. later. Yeah. This uh, is the NASCAR state that I'm from, right? Yeah. So we're going to run like we're behind and, yeah. and we're not going to let off the gas in the corners. So. I love that. <laughs> well, and, and we're going to make sure everybody knows how to support you. But I do want to talk a little bit more about your background because I, I did not realize that you actually own a gun shop. Is that correct? I do. Yeah. yeah. So, so talk I, about I, uh, that. Um, I, 12 years ago, so it was 2010, um, looking for a business to buy. A friend says, hey, there is a bankrupt, you know, uh, out of business gun store. So as I was looking at this and my first customer and only customer at the time was going to be a local police department that needed a place to train their officers. Really? I said, this is fantastic. I mean, they were driving way out of town to another county to shoot at an outdoor range subject to the weather and putting a lot of miles on their car and taking officers offline for training. And there was this range and they said, well, we can't buy it, but we could lease it from you and we could be your customer. And while I was looking at this, the training captain, he said, never underestimate the need of the public to have a safe place to shoot. Mm. I said, Captain, you you want me to open this to the public? He said, absolutely, because they need a good place, a safe place to shoot. So and true. so we did. We opened it up. He had a re retiring SWAT team member that came to uh, be a partner with me, so we opened this together. Um, and then uh, we opened it, uh, the retail side of it, and it's been a, a thriving operation since. And our, our motto is to help our community responsibly enjoy firearms. So, and one of the greatest thing, I mean, that we've seen even pre-COVID, uh, the biggest growing group in and in constituency inside the shooting sports, uh, it's females and it's minorities, uh, and, and it's so exciting just to see all the stereotypes broken broken in this industry, and just to see a, a diverse group. Um, they had a, a league uh, that shot for the the last time in the season this morning. You know, to see someone um, close to eighty win, and <laughs> it just, it's just. It's just fantastic. It's a great thing for the community, and it teaches people to responsibly enjoy firearms and, and responsibly train them on firearms. Absolutely. I know we, you know, we have a firearm, and my husband is like, "You need to train." So we went to yeah. a range, and I had an ex police officer sit with me on the range and teach me all the protocols because yeah. you want to have that responsibility. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tackle this two ways. I want to talk about being a business owner. Yeah. And what you deal with with the regulation, the labor issues, what are you seeing from this Biden administration? And also, you have a Democrat governor. How has it made life harder for business owners, not just you, but across the country? Well, what we're seeing is we're seeing two openings for every available employee, and, and, and we're seeing the discouragement of work. And people have, you know, they were able to stay home with some stimulus checks early on, and maybe we didn't know what COVID was in the first few months. Mm -hmm. But then it's time, like, hey, let's reopen the economy. Yeah, but people, many people, not all. Some of them are out there. They're working two and three jobs, and we we're grateful for them. Uh, but there's so much opportunity out there. But there has been from the Biden administration the spirit of victimization: stay home, don't work, don't don't make your life better, don't participate in the economy. And that's what, what we need. The economy needs people uh, to jump in, and we have other people again, like working 
two or three jobs. So it's been very difficult. Um, look, we're, we're very blessed. This is an industry that people want to work yeah. in. In my business, people come from every branch of the military, retired police, retired uh, teachers that just say they want to do this. Uh, and so we're, we're lucky in that regards. Um, but when it comes to uh, people that need uh, they need factory workers, they need shifts, uh, they need people to run restaurants, it's hard. It's so there. hard. And you're hearing this as you're yeah. traveling your state. I mean, every small business owner I talk to talks yeah. to me about how hard it is to find employees. You know, I have a 17-year-old in the workplace mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many job offers he gets on the the website that he applied on. I mean, yeah. it's just unbelievable. And there's a real problem and I said this earlier, and this is so true, I think. Democrats think they understand business because they read about starting a business. <laughs> Republicans have actually started businesses. They know what it means to hire people. They know what the regulations mean. And you know that practical application mm-hmm of having it in your own life is just a better education than anything you're going to get it's from the best. some that, theory. Running a buffer in the middle of the night, you know, on, on, the, on the third shift, putting out pine straw in 100-degree weather, I mean, it, or unloading trucks at a, at a warehouse. Those are all things that I've done and not afraid to do today. And uh, it makes you who you are. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. I mean, I called a, a person in the eastern part of the state. He's, you know, uh, how you doing? He said, I'm hot. I'm out in the middle of my field. <laughs> He's a farmer on hundreds of acres. He's trying to, uh, you know, take care of his field. He said, I hired 10 people last week. And he said, five of them didn't show up. And then he said, the, uh, they said another two quit after three days. So we, we can't have, we, ha- we need to have a culture that's pro work. Yes. And there's no, there's personal dignity and nobility that comes out of that. And not a government that incentivizes people Absolutely. to stay home. So then let's talk about as a gun owner, uh, a gun shop owner, what we're seeing in our country. Obviously, we are all concerned about the violence mm-hmm. we're seeing in our kids' schools. We don't want to have that. But the Democrats' plan is let's take away guns from everybody. Um, but there's a balance. How do we make sure that law-abiding citizens are able to keep their guns, but we prevent, you know, people who have mental illness or other things from mm. from getting a, a gun and doing severe harm? And that's what we see. We see people that are either criminally minded or they're 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 have a mental illness, and those are the people that uh, are a danger to themselves or to others. And we have to watch out for that. When you look at the, it's called the form forty four seventy three, and anybody who purchases a firearm uh, at a store fills out that form. It asks, "Are you?" Uh, uh, a user of marijuana, even in a decriminalized state. It asked if you've been mentally adjudicated. So we have to prosecute people who violate that. And that's, I mean, under, that's a felony. Yeah, to, they're to, lying about that. And we see with these shootings, we see dr- the things that don't make it into the media narrative, at least the mainstream media narrative, is uh, unreported mental illness that's a danger to themselves or others. Mm-hmm. We don't see drug use being discussed. We don't see brokenness in, in a history of, of violence that happens uh, with a lot of these. And so these need to be researched. Um, we need uh, law enforcement, which already has, in most cases in the states, uh, power to remove uh, firearms from those that are a danger to themselves or others. Because I think one of the things all of us, regardless of party or background, can agree on is we want firearms are the hands of dangerous people. We do. But the fastest growing community, like I mentioned earlier, it's women, it's minorities. And they're saying, hey, if, if Corey Bush or my opponent, Sherry Beasley, are going to try to defund the police— then they want to be able to exactly. defend themselves. Because, exactly. you know, in these instances where seconds count in a neighborhood, the police are minutes away. And so they have to take, uh, they have to be responsible for their own their own safety. 
and they're willing to do so. But they want to do it safely and they want to do it in a law-abiding way. It's interesting, the correlation. Democrats, your opponent, Sherry Beasley, is the, mm-hmm. the worst offender on this. She has teamed up with all the defund the police members of Congress. She believes in that. It's not just defund, too. I was I flew in to D.C. a couple of days ago with a sheriff from my state, and he mm-hmm. said, we can't hire. We're demoralized. We're diminished. It is a terrible time right now mm-hmm. for our men and women in, in uniform. And your opponent's part of that. But not only do they want to defund the police, they want to make sure you can't defend yourself. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. So when I talked about, uh, I spoke to uh, sheriffs from all 100 counties, um, and they were gathered as a group in the western part of the state earlier this week. And when I spoke to the, I said, we need to fund you, we need to back you, and we need to defend you. And uh, they gave me a standing ovation because they realized that I'm somebody who's running for office who has their back. And they appreciate that. And these are uh, Democrats and Republicans in that room. And I'm grateful for that response, but I want them to know that I'm out there for them. Uh, we need to have law enforcement's back. We need to let them do their job. We need to give them the tools and the even the moral support that they need. Because yeah. they're putting their lives on the line yeah. for not that much pay. And we need to have tremendous gratitude for them, not just in the, in the red state areas, but in the blue areas as well, including our inner cities. Uh, and I think we do that. Um, we can start bringing this crime wave back under control. Well, and the other thing for for these police officers and your opponent, again, is one of those who they go, they catch, catch somebody who's committed a crime, and then they're back on the street the next day. Mm-hmm. And so you got to go home demoralized as a police officer saying, I just took this violent offender off the street. I did good for my community. And then this woke DA or this woke a prosecutor or whatever, um, put them right back on the street. And now I have to go recapture them and they may actually be more dangerous. And my life now be, might be in danger. Yeah. And that's what Sherry Beasley agrees with. I mean, she's, de- she's, uh, defended cop killers. Yeah. Uh, she's, uh, thrown out indictments for child molesters, the worst of the worst. And she's defended them. And, uh, you know, from her record, it seems that she would continue to do that. Wow. Wow. Well, I, no, you're going to be a great senator, but let's talk about your race. Yeah. What are some of the things you're hearing as you're traveling the state of mm-hmm. North Carolina? And what an amazing state you live in, by the way. Thank you. I'm it very is, biased. I, I, yeah. I'm biased, too. <laughs> I love your state, but it really is a, a growing state, a thriving state. Um, but what are you hearing from the voters as you travel? So, uh, again, we were the only either Republican or Democrat to go to all 100 counties. And uh, they're two things that people are talking about. One is they're talking about inflation. Okay. And there's a story that uh, became familiar with, and this is a secretary who's a year away from retirement. And she said, I don't know if I can afford gas in my car for my commute to get to my job, to get to my retirement in a year. Wow. And this is a real fix people are in. We're, as of this recording, what are we, a couple weeks away from back-to-school shopping? Exactly. And and parents are deciding, all right, am I going to put gas in my car, groceries on my table, or am I going to get a new backpack or new clothes for my kid for school this coming school year? So these are tough decisions that the Biden's, Joe Biden, his economic decisions have made for our country that are hurting real people. So people are talking about inflation, uh, and then they're talking about crime. 
And uh, we're seeing whether it's the lax uh, approach at the border, which is letting 200,000 people a, year, a month come across, many of them bringing fentanyl to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of us are only one, two, or maybe three degrees away from a name of a tragedy that we know of, somebody that's lost a life yeah. uh, due to a drug overdose. Uh, and so it's they're talking about that, uh, petty crimes, neighbor crime, violent crimes um, locally. And they're, they're seeing a wave. They're very concerned, whether it's uh, in the cities or even in the more rural areas, tremendously concerned about that. And they know that we know the solutions to fix this. But so that that's what I hear in, in all 100 counties. Sheriffs are telling me um, all around the state that every single county in North Carolina is now a border county. I mean, we're a thousand plus miles away from the border. Yeah, you're about yeah. as far from the border yeah, as you can are. be. They're, they're a border county because what happens at the border 72 hours later happens in North Carolina, or at least the, the, the drugs that come from there do. Yeah, the fentanyl. I mean, it's the yeah. leading cause of death now for 18 to 45-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, and Joe Biden is willingly, knowingly, mm-hmm. purposefully, intentionally allowing um, this to come across our border and kill Americans. And Sherry Beasley will be right in line with that. The Democrats are in lockstep with this open border agenda, which is affecting families from every community, every socioeconomic background. Um, Drugs don't discriminate and they'll take every life that they lay their hands on. So uh, what what are the things that you're most excited to do in the U.S. Senate yeah. When you get elected. So I've had a great run on the Financial Services Committee. I don't know what uh, committees I'll have over there, but I love, I've fallen, I've always been in love with the state. I was born in North Carolina. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, special state to us, but I look forward to doing everything every day to make life better and easier for North Carolinians and going around and looking people in the eye and saying, everything that I've fought for is making your life better in North Carolina. That's what I look forward to. What committee that's going to be on, I don't know. Again, it's the NASCAR state going to run like, <laughs> I'm going to run like I'm behind. I feel like you're a NASCAR state. <laughs> yeah. You're also a basketball state, kind oh, of, yeah, right? Are. I mean, we basketball. Is- Which is why I'm a North Carolinian. But I don't have basketball skills. But, you don't? Okay. But my uncle came, uh, he was recruited to North Carolina. Really? In 1956, when Wake Forest moved from the town of Wake Forest to Winston-Salem. He played basketball there. Then he went and played for the Knicks. But my dad, his younger brother. Your uncle played for the Knicks? He, did. he played for UNC and he then got, the Knicks. He got very famous one night when he guarded Wilt Chamberlain the night Wilt scored 100 points. So <laughs> that, that was before I was born. Is that famous? Or that is famous. That's infamy. Infamous. But he was in the pros. There was only a few teams, you know. That's amazing. That's so, right. are, so I was going to ask, are you Duke or UNC? You got I'm a Wake Forest guy. Oh, right? you're Wake Forest. I'm, I'm a Wake okay. Forest guy. I went to business school there. That's the school he played in. So it's a special school for us. That's uh, amazing. Well, I know that you're going to do so many great things for your state. How can people help your campaign? Because I will say this. Democrats are raising a ton of money. They're raising a lot of money. And, you know, everybody talks about the red wave. The red wave doesn't Mm -hmm. happen unless you have the resources to get on TV. And Democrats are definitely having a green wave right now of money being infused into their campaigns, which we know is going to happen because they have all the— big tech and all that money coming in, what is a way that people can help you? Well, we can't make, we can't just watch that right away. We have to make that right away exactly. happen. So the easiest way to support me is at my website and that's at tedbud.com. If you can get the D's in the right place, you're in good shape. <laughs> it's two D's. It, it's two D's on Bud and one on Ted. So T-E-D-B-U-D-D.com. Dot com. Okay. I'd love to have people support and that will put it to great use and we'll go win in November. I hope everyone listening, watching goes and supports tedbud.com. 
Uh, I know you. I've seen your heart. I've seen, I've met Amy Kate. You guys are just a fantastic couple and you will do our country a great service in the United States Senate. Thank you for coming on my podcast and I look forward to congratulating you this November. I look forward to it as well. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. I'm Ronna McDaniel and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America. Paid for by the Republican National Committee. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee www.gop.com.